Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, Joe Warner, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, I interview the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all of our exclusive unfiltered documentaries, video interviews, and investigations at unfilteronline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. When I first discovered you and your work, I saw your name on Instagram, the PCS, PCOS Mentor. You didn't look like what I was expecting you to look like. Could you give me a little bit of, of background? What's your story? How did you fall into this area and, and how's it become your passion? Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, I hear that pretty much every day. <laughs> so absolutely a normal occurrence. Yeah, quickly, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, is a female hormone condition that are r- roughly 10 to 15% of all females uh, experience. So it creates a number of hormone, hormonal imbalances. You know, we're talking about things like, um, high insulin, insulin resistance, high androgens, high cortisol. So all of those things can disrupt the body when they're chronically high or low. Um, so most people talking about this are either doctors or, you know, women with PCOS or dietitians. And I am neither. I am a man. I am not a doctor. I am not a dietitian. I'm also covered in tattoos. I am, uh, I call myself a former gym bro because I used to be really into the gym. I, I still go every single day. But I come from a fitness background, which I, I used to think really held me back, being a man, not being a doctor, coming from a fitness background. But I think it actually gives me a unique perspective on PCOS. And I think, you know, as long as people judge me on uh, my content, my products, and not necessarily just on my looks or the fact that I'm a man, I think I'm going all right. But how I got into it was, uh, as I said before, I, I'm a gym bro. I always loved the gym growing up. You know, especially in my late teens, I had um, terrible issues with social anxiety, no body confidence, no self-esteem. So I saw the gym as a way that would, you know, essentially save my life. You know, my life got really dark there in my late teens. And it did that. You know, everything after getting into the gym, starting to build a bit of muscle for myself, my entire life changed. You know, I didn't realize what I was trying to change was my mental health. I I thought I had to change my physical health, but it just happened that as I changed my physical health, it also improved my mental health. So I got into the gym, fell in love with it because it changed my life, got into personal training, which I loved. I loved being a personal trainer. I loved being in the gym every day. I loved helping people on their journeys because their journeys were, you know, a mirror of my own journey. So I was doing that for a number of years uh, as a personal trainer. The majority of my clients were were women. Um, most of them were just wanting to lose weight. And then it was 2014. I started working with a client, um, just a, a lovely lady. We'd been working together for two months. Uh, she wanted to lose 40 kilos, uh, which is a, a sizable number. Uh, two months in, she come into the gym one day crying. I'm thinking, oh no, like what's going on? Did she lose a job? You know, are things okay with her, with her husband? And she said, Drew, like it's been two months now. It's been eight weeks and I've lost one kilo. You know, so 
just not the rate she wants to lose at. She's probably extrapolating that like, well, if I want to lose 40 and it just took me two months to lose one, I'm going to be here till I'm 100. Um, and she said, you know, so so I, I do what you always do. You start, all right, how's your diet been? How's your stress levels? Have you been sleeping? Have you been exercising when you haven't been seeing me? And everything she was saying, and she, you know, she was, uh, you know, she's not lying here. Everything she was saying sounded good, sounded like she should have been getting results. And she happened to mention that day, um, you know, I have PCOS, could have something to do with that. Me being a gym bro, thinking I knew everything, said, no, of course not. I'd never heard of PCOS before. I thought, no, of course not. But luckily for myself and luckily for her, I'd, I was already a, a a nerd. You know, I was learning as much as I could, but I was learning more about protein synthesis and muscle gain and carbohydrate metabolism. Um, so that night I went home and started researching PCOS and, and very quickly learned that uh, PCOS can impact the ease and your ability to lose weight. So we made a few changes based on, on what I learned and she started losing weight. Um, and then at that time, I was also trying to build my personal training business. So uh, back then, uh, I wasn't on Instagram. We didn't have TikTok. We had Facebook back in the day. So she said, you know, you make all these posts on Facebook about um, fitness. Why don't you post one about PCOS? So what I was learning about PCOS, I simply made a post about it. Uh, and just woke up the next morning and the feedback was different. You know, a lot of the time when you make a post about losing weight or someone's results, you know, you post the transformation of a, of a client, you know, people will reach out and say, I'd love to lose 20 kilos. I have a wedding coming up or summer's coming up. I want to look great for summer, which is, they're great goals. But when I posted about PCOS, you know, I had women, you know, emailing me and messaging me that I'd never spoken to before telling me how they've just been through their fourth miscarriage, you know, or they're, they're having uh, issues with their partner because, you know, they have no self-confidence and their partner hasn't seen them naked for years. It was just different. Um, so I was still personal training. Uh, the number of women I started personal training with PCOS grew because I was starting to talk about PCOS. Uh, I was starting to also build an online business. And because I was talking about um, PCOS, my online training, meal and training program, we just had a larger number of uh, women with PCOS on it. But now uh, I run a supplement business. And just quickly, the quick story of that is, is uh, working with this client. Um, and I said, look, go down to the local supplement shop stop. You just need to buy, I forget what it was, it was, like two products. I think it was like zinc and magnesium. It should have costed $40. Saw her the next week. <laughs> and I said, how'd you go at the supplement store? She goes, good, I spent $450. I'm <laughs> like, why? She goes, well, the guy, when I went in there, the guy said, if I have this, I've got to have this protein and I've got to have this pre-workout and I've got to take these BCAAs. And I'm just like, Oh, you've just, you don't need any of that stuff. Like for where you are, you don't need a pre-workout. You don't need two types of protein powder. And I remember just being, just being upset for her. So I just randomly went to my supplement store where I was buying my pre-workouts and said, is there any chance, you know, you sell supplements with no labels on them that I could put my labels on? And it just so happened that they did. And that was the birth of my supplement business. Um, and then they were taking, a lot of my ladies were taking a few different supplements. They were taking vitamin D and inositol and zinc and magnesium. 
And my client, uh, Lana, said to me, you know, why don't you put all, you know, can we just is there just one thing you could take? You know, you could just take one that has them all in it. And I thought, I don't know, but I'll find out. So rang my supplement company again and said, you know, is there any possibility we could create a supplement and have it all in there? And they happened to say yes. So absolutely by chance, started working with a client with PCOS, sent her to buy some supplements. She had a bad experience. She mentioned that could I have a supplement with all of it in once? That's Balance, which is our multivitamin, which today is still, after five years, our biggest seller. So that's how it got into it. You know, just working as a personal trainer, working with clients with PCOS, and that just sparked my interest. But now, you know, just feeling like I can truly, in my little way, as I said, I'm not a doctor, I'm not diagnosing people, I'm not medicating people, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that stuff. What I love to do is I love to do the research aspect of it. I like to read studies. I like to listen to podcasts. And then I like to create content based on what I'm learning. And then I simply enjoy creating new products that I hope will help my customers. So I know that was a long story, but that's essentially how I became uh, the PCOS mentor. I think so many people have found success on social media by specializing around women's health, which has been fantastic in some respects, but there's also drawbacks because there's a lot of people who, shall we say, maybe aren't as diligent or as thorough as you. Do you feel that social media has been a force for good in terms of bringing some of these issues which previously have almost gone undiscussed, almost like taboo, uh, treated in such a way that you don't really talk about it? Do you think overall it's been a force for good, Drew, that suddenly some of these things are being talked about, clearly for women who are in desperate need of some advice and some and some action. Yeah, that's that's such a grey area of social media. I don't think social. I don't think we, in any aspect of social media we can say is good or bad. But would I say for PCOS specific, has social media had a net positive or negative effect? I would say it has definitely had a net positive effect. Um, you know, when I was trying to start learning about PCOS back in 2014, there were no Facebook pages, there were no Instagram pages. There was one lady who was doing a podcast, Amy Amy Medling. She was fantastic. She was interviewing doctors. But the ease of which you can find information was very difficult back then. And, you know, if you have PCOS and you've been diagnosed by a doctor, it's very likely that your doctor is going to say, look, lose weight or take birth control or metformin, which is a, a diabetic drug. That's about as far as the education goes. Because like we all know, when you go to the doctor, there are 50 people in the waiting room. The doctor doesn't have time to sit there and be like, all right, for the next four hours, I'm going to educate you on PCOS. It's just not what doctors do. So there is a huge education gap. And that's where I find social media has been wonderful to fill that education gap. You know, I look around on social media and there's my page, but there's 100, 200 other pages from women with PCOS, dietitians, um, just influencers like me who are just educating those with PCOS, which is wonderful. But of course, there is the other side of it where there are, you know, there is misinformation out there. There are people trying to sell products that I don't believe have any research behind them that are making crazy claims. So there is the dark side to social media, but in terms of do I think it has a net positive or negative effect, just, just, to fill that education gap, I think it's been wonderful. The glucose goddess recently, she's grown in huge popularity for the work she's done around blood glucose levels. She yes. mentioned a, a post recently around how insulin sensitivity, it's something you can reverse, anyone can reverse it, 
big sweeping statement, but yeah. obviously that doesn't yeah. take into account people with PCOS and other related conditions whose insulin response isn't normal. And I think it's interesting you mentioned around the confidence, the mental health, seeing this message of you can do it, it's in your hands when it might not be, could be damaging. Is this what you mean when the potential kind of dark sides and the misinformation, someone ultimately trying to do good, but their information isn't accurate to, to everyone? Yeah, it's now I actually did see uh, another PCOS influencer. Uh, she's a dietitian. Call her out. Call Glucose Goddess out on that post saying, um, you know, because in PCOS, they, they have found genetics and genes that lead to PCOS and insulin resistance. So obviously in P PCOS, there is a genetic predisposition there to develop insulin resistance and then develop PCOS off the back of that. So although I don't agree with that, <sighs> Yeah, there's just, and that's the thing. I just don't, on social media, you could make a post and, you know, Glucose Goddess, I'm sure she has a, I'm, I'm, I know she has a huge following. So not everyone's going to agree with you. And we are all humans. So we don't get it right all the time. I look at back on some of my posts and I'm like, well, that, I don't believe in that anymore. Like I now know more information to show that's not true. So I just think any content creator out there does have a responsibility to, to try and create as accurate information as possible. Is every content creator going to do that? Look, obviously not. You know, everyone has a phone. Everyone is a content creator these days. So I think it's down to us as the end user to try and filter out who we can trust and who we can't. And of course, we're never ever going to get it right because we don't know people's true intentions. But yeah, it's just up, up to us to filter who we believe and who we don't believe. I've been speaking to lots of experts such as yourself around women's health, around training, nutrition, reproduction, fertility, hormones. There seems to be the consensus that the medical profession just aren't doing enough and that we can discuss the reasons till the cows come home, lack of resource, lack of time, all the other things. But it seems as though when a woman goes to her, her GP or her doctor with a female health related issue, it's either kind of instantly medicalized. So PCOS, you could go on the pill, kind of regardless of anything else that's going on, or it's kind of brushed under the carpet. Oh, it's menopause. Of course, you're tired, you're 40, you've got kids. It seems to be kind of dismissed in a way that I feel a lot of experts are telling me if men were suffering from this, the billions and billions that would have been plowed into research to try and find some answers. I mean, it would make your eyes water. Do you agree with this? Is there a fundamental huge gap in the medical profession in terms of how we are dealing with more than 50% of the population that are going through some real tough mental and physical health issues? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the shortest interview ever. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. You have to understand, I, I think the same is, is true for men's health. I was speaking to a man at the gym yesterday who has low testosterone, right? So genetically low testosterone. Went to the doctor and the doctor just said, look, go online and find things to naturally increase your testosterone. That was the doctor's treatment. Like, like that was it. And I'm like, so he got palmed off by his doctor. But in saying that, I just think, yeah, looking back as women's health over time, just not being given any light of day in the medical industry, definitely. In PCOS space, you know, women with PCOS are still pretty much told just lose weight, just go on birth control. We know that birth control isn't a fix-all. Like this isn't 1954. Um, 
So 100%. And as I said before, look, I think it's going to be systematic. I think there are some wonderful doctors out there. I don't think the medical industry itself is bad or here to hurt you. I just think systematically we just look. And then I always think too, you know, would I like, would I rather have the medical industry as we have now or no medical industry? And I'm always going to say, well, look, I'd I'd rather have what we have now because look, the quality of our lives has definitely improved, but is it perfect? Definitely not. As I, as I said before, go to the doctor. You're ne- there's always 50 people in there. The doctor simply wants to diagnose you, prescribe you, get you out the door, which is wonderful if you have something wrong with you where a simple medication can fix it if you have a cold or something. But when you have a hormonal condition where birth control can help mask the symptoms, but it's not actually a treatment what does it actually do for you? It doesn't do anything. And then doctors obviously aren't trained in natural solutions. And natural solutions could be what you eat, how much exercise you do, your sleep quality, uh, regulating and improving your stress levels, things like that. But then because doctors have been trained on medications and surgeries, a lot of doctors are actually very dismissive of natural options to improve your health, which doesn't help it at all. So I just think there is just obviously a systematic issue. I believe it's definitely getting better. I look at PCOS and of course there could be more research. There is a lot of research going going on. If you go on PubMed, there are at least you know five to 10 studies a day being published on PCOS on all aspects of PCOS. Not yet, yeah, unfortunately, not necessarily treatment options, more on what's causing it, which can lead to treatment options. But is there, yeah, have we got it right at the moment? No, and I and have in the past and to today and into the future, do we look down on women's health? I do believe so, which is crazy because women's health, I mean, we need it more than anything to ensure that we have children, we move on, the human race continues. You mentioned that you're positive about the direction in which we're headed. So, Joe, where's the big breakthrough going to come through? There's so many things, personalized medicine, personalized nutrition, better understanding of, uh, of your, your genome. Where do you, where's the, the light at the end of the tunnel in, in trying to find a cure that will work for an illness that could have so many potential causes? Look, I don't think there is a cure coming anytime soon for PCOS. I just, I, you look at how much we know about PCOS at the moment in terms of the pathophysiology. And it's still very little. And I don't think, you know, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but you've got to understand the role of big pharma and how many people are uh, living off selling medications. Um, So I just don't think there is a desire to find a cure. I think there is a desire to find more drugs to help manage PCOS ongoing but in terms of where's the where's the where's the cure all where's the magic pill, I don't think it's coming anytime soon. I just don't think there's a desire from the people in charge to find it. I mean that's a that's a negative and I mean incredibly sad state of affairs, right? By implication, you can put someone on on the pill and they're on that until they hit the menopause, and and that's going to be a cash cow generating money for ten fifteen years of a woman's life. Is is that going to be the problem then? That's a massive problem. It's been the problem till today. You've got to understand, someone with PCOS, right? You go get diagnosed with PCOS. The doctor will say, uh, go on birth control, come back when you want to have a child. So, you know, and I know this from family members who has who have PCOS. They'll be on birth control from 
18 to 30, all right, now I want to have a child. But because you've been on birth control for the last 13, 14 years, you know, your brain and your ovary have never had time to communicate. So your, your menstrual cycle doesn't come back. So then what happens? The doctor will prescribe Clomid or Letrozole, you know, to uh, these ovulation boosters to help you fall pregnant. You fall pregnant, what happens? Go back on birth control until you want to have another child. You are literally medicated for your entire life. I know women with PCOS who have been on birth control for decades, have checkups with their doctors every six months. That's it. Like, and that's the thing. It, there's not even any help and around the natural side. Not even with exercise. As I said before, and I'm going to harp on on this: exercise and sleep. All of these things that we know can improve your hormonal health. Can help manage your PCOS. And that's the thing with PCOS. It's a, it's a condition you're born with. It's not a condition that you can cure at the moment. It will always be there. But can you get on top of it? So the symptoms are livable, a hundred percent. And can you do that alone with, and I can't speak for every case, with wonderful nutrition, exercise, stress management, just an overall lifestyle that helps balance your hormones? Yes, but that education just isn't being given to most women. In terms of PCOS, you mentioned that up to 20% of, of women could have this. Could you talk about some of the most common symptoms and some of the lesser known ones in case somebody watching this who knows that something isn't quite right with their body might not yet have had a diagnosis yeah so let's look at it like an iceberg the iceberg you can see are the symptoms under the the surface are hormonal imbalances so the most common hormonal imbalances will be insulin resistance leading to high insulin high androgens so androgens are a group of sex hormones most common are you know testosterone dihydrotestosterone dht but then we got massive issues with high cortisol but then all of these hormonal imbalances can impact the menstrual cycle. So if we understand that the menstrual cycle, uh, estrogen and progesterone are reliant upon a not a healthy menstrual cycle. So now we've got issues with insulin, androgens, cortisol, estrogen, progesterone. All right. So then we look at, all right, so let's say we've got imbalances of these hormones and these imbalances could be severe. They could be mild because we have to understand that PCOS is very individual. We could have 10 women with PCOS here and have them explain their PCOS and they're all experiencing a slightly different PCOS because the, the endocrine system, you know, one hormone impacts another hormone. So they all experiencing a slightly different PC, uh, PCOS. But what are the most common ones? It was interesting. I was reading a study just before. So the most common uh, symptoms of PCOS are polycystic ovaries which are which on ultrasound will appear as cysts on the ovary they are just unmatured follicles hirsutism which is the growth the excess growth of thick uh dark facial and body hair uh things like um irregular periods is another one uh, uh fertility struggles fatigue is a massive one insomnia sleep apnea weight gain uh, increased cravings and hunger, brain fog, anxiety, depression, low libido. So when we're looking at all of this, it impacts your appetite, it impacts your energy, it impacts your weight, it impacts your skin, it impacts your hair, it impacts your mental health, it impacts your libido. That is your entire life. So 
not only uh, are we struggling with these hormonal imbalances, but the number of symptoms you could be experiencing are vast. And it's interesting when I do a post on social media talking about, you know, the, um, you know, I might say six uh, lesser known symptoms of PCOS. You look at the comments and it's like, I had no idea this was connected to my PCOS. You know, I thought I just didn't have a sex drive. I had no idea it could be related to my PCOS. And that's where that education gap comes in. But it's good to, we, we talk about this because I just feel like for someone that doesn't have PCOS and let's say you know someone with PCOS, it can be an invisible condition because we can't see, you know, it's not like if some, if, you know, if your work colleague comes into work tomorrow with a broken leg, you can see that. You'll say, oh, look, what happened? Are you okay? Like, tell me what happened. Someone with PCOS, and that's the thing, if you're a woman with PCOS, you don't necessarily want to walk around with a beard. You know, so they're, they're doing what they can to cover up. You know, you don't want your personal details out there. So for everyone without PCOS, it can be a very invisible condition. So it's just very, very important to, to speak about this, just to highlight the struggles they do go through so we can have a bit more empathy towards their plight. Because there's not a huge amount of education around this, do you experience a lot of conversations with women where it's almost like a penny drop moment because they've got the brain fog and maybe they've got a low libido and all these other symptoms that they that are almost in isolation? It's only when they discover the work of you and, and other people like you, it all, all almost falls into place. Is that a common experience? Very common. Um, it's just they think it's normal. They think it's their normal. But as I said before, and as we said, you know, they've been diagnosed with PCOS, but there's no education. You know, they have this condition they don't, they'd never ask for, they don't want, they would do anything to get rid of, but they've never been educated on how PCOS, like I guarantee if we, you know, and this is unfortunate, but you know, if we had, again, if we had these same 10 women with PCOS and said, you know, explain your PCOS, you know, explain the hormonal imbalances you have, you, they don't know. Like, do you have insulin resistance? I have no idea. Do you have high androgens? I'm not sure. Do you have high cortisol? I'm not sure. Like, and that's the thing, like with anything, if you want to, you know, if you want to find an answer, you must know the equation beforehand, right? You know, if I said what's five plus blank, you're not going to be able to give me an answer. So, yeah, like so many, as I said, you know, as I just said, you know, when I make a post about, you know, uncommon symptoms or, you know, especially like the the big one was brain fog and low libido. So many women just had no idea. You know, brain fog is, you know, there's no actual diagnosis of brain fog. It's a collection term, you know, things like forgetfulness, um, clumsy, you know, like, you can't concentrate. So many women were like, I had no idea this could be my PCOS. Same with the low libido. Uh, you know, a lot of women think, oh, high androgens must mean high libido, but in PCOS and in in the female uh, female body, libido is much more connected to estrogen levels and your menstrual cycle. They, you know, your libido increases before ovulation, but if your menstrual cycle is irregular, it can really impact your libido, which can have huge impacts on your personal relationships. So many women were just like, I had no idea that this could be my, I thought that it was just me. Like, but it's not, it's, you know, another symptom of this condition that you're living with that you need to understand better. It feels as though we've talked about kind of education around schools could 
be a place where some of this is begin to talk to, to young girls and also young boys so they can be more aware of it as well. Do you feel that's a missing piece of the puzzle that we've got a chance to educate some children, especially if one in four women are going to experience this? It seems a missed opportunity not to talk about it when they're young and beginning to go through some of these changes. Yeah, I would love that because PCOS starts to manifest, um, you know, mid-teens, late-teens. And that's the thing, you know, when I speak to, you know, mothers or when I speak to, to women now that had been through this, it's such a, you know, being a teenager is such a confusing time anyway, especially being, uh, being female, you know, you start to have a menstrual cycle and naturally it's not regular to start with. So a lot of these things, you know, naturally when you start to have a menstrual cycle, it's not regular, you know, it takes time for your, your brain and your ovaries to talk and become regular. So I would love more education, but can I see it happening? I'm not sure because, you know, if you do it for PCOS, are we going to do it for endometriosis? Are we going to do it for hypothyroidism? You know, so is there going to be, and that's the thing, I don't mean to be a pessimist. I just, I like to be a realist. Like, is there going to be, you know, a PCOS day at schools? I just don't know. And that's the thing with with the research as well. You know, if you understand where where funding for research goes, funding for research goes to to conditions that have a higher importance. And that's generally where people are getting extremely sick or people are dying. You know, in PCOS's case, women aren't dying from PCOS. They can, you know, people can die from comorbidities of PCOS. But because, again, it's a female condition, it's seen as anyone from without PCOS, it's seen as not important. Funding isn't there. Education isn't there. So I would love for more education to be there. But do I think it's going to be a broad community education? No, I don't. So then what could it be? I'm actually not sure. If a woman goes to her doctor with these with this condition, she's going to be recommended the contraceptive pill, right? But obviously, there's an awful lot of lifestyle interventions that you can do to try and get on top of this condition. Could you talk through, based on your experience, what women should be prioritising? What are the big rocks in terms of, I, I imagine it's kind of exercise, eat well, sleep, don't stress, the big ones that are applicable to everything. But am I on the right track or are there other things that women should be prioritising? No, that's it. Firstly, understand your PCOS understand all right what can i do to improve insulin androgens cortisol that's a big one like if you they're the big three if you really get on top of those three you can make huge changes to your pcos so you start looking at your and that's the thing as you just mentioned nutrition activity levels sleep stress they're the big four what can i do to improve insulin androgens and cortisol via these four things. So things like nutrition, look, and that's the thing, if you're living in a Western country, you know, our lifestyle these days goes against what's good for PCOS. That's a difficult thing. Our lifestyle these days is processed foods, low in nutrient value, high in calories. We live quite sedentary lifestyles. We're quite stressed and we don't prioritize sleep. Like that is a recipe for disaster for PCOS. And I believe it's why PCOS is becoming more prevalent these days is because the genetic potential's there, but in previous lifetimes, our society habitual behaviors hasn't triggered it. Where now we're just, we're getting, I just think in the West, we're getting unhealthier and unhealthier. But with your nutrition, if you can try and focus on eating whole foods, you know, whole carbs, 
quality fats, quality proteins, reduce your intake of junk food. Like that's 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 the easiest thing. We all know, right? You could be anyone. We all know what foods are good for us and aren't good for us. So 80% of the time, choose foods that are good for us. With exercise, like we, we're busy now. We live in cities. We drive or catch public transport. We work behind desks. But anything you can do to be active, even if it's a daily 30-minute walk, just be active. Weight training for PCOS is probably the most effective form of exercise because weight training improves insulin sensitivity, which also reduces uh, androgen levels. It also reduces basal cortisol levels over time too. So weight training is amazing if you can get into that. I do know a lot of women don't necessarily enjoy weight training, but weight training is amazing. And then creating a sleep routine. It could be as simple as you know putting your phone on sleep an hour before bed so we're not getting that blue light. Um, and then doing what we can to reduce stress, which can be a difficult one because there are so many sources of stress in our life. But those four big pillars, uh, what you eat, if you exercise, sleep and stress, if you can focus on those four things and just find a way to balance what's good for your PCOS and what you simply enjoy doing, if you can do that, you can make huge changes to your PCOS. Is it possible to attribute a hierarchy to them? I'm just thinking, as you've mentioned, weight training is obviously fantastic, but for a lot of women, they've probably never done that before and their confidence is almost certainly at a low. So yep. stepping into a weight room full of big guys is gonna be very, very difficult. Would yes. nutritional yep. sleep be somewhere to start just to get the ball rolling? I'm just trying to think of like the really simple first steps. Nutrition, walking, sleep routine would be the big three. If you can get your nutrition right, Go for a walk, even if it's half an hour to an hour a day, or even if it's half an hour to an hour every other day, and create yourself a sleep routine, like uniform sleep and wake times. Uh, put your phone asleep an hour on, on sleep an hour before bed. Stay off, um, you know, keep uh, at nighttime, make your house as dark as possible. Turn off, you have to signal to your body that it's that bedtime's coming up. So you don't want all the lights on. You don't want the TV up loud. You know, all of these things are telling our brain that it's still daytime. So at nighttime, you want to signal to the brain that sleep is coming. It is nighttime. Um, things like that. So it's those three big ones, walking, nutrition, sleep routine. Honestly, you, and that's, the, I like what you just said there because it can be very overwhelming. You know, if you've, you're struggling with this condition or even just struggling with your your health or fitness in general. It's like for the last few years, it's kind of like you've been digging a hole, digging a hole, digging a hole, digging a hole. And before you know it, you could look up and you could barely see the light. Like that's very overwhelming. You're like, well, how am I ever going to get out of this hole? But if you can just break it down to one little step at a time, that helps build momentum, which helps build self-belief, which helps build habits, which in the end builds results. I appreciate everyone's very, very different and it's, it might be hard to answer this, but is there a time frame of how long people can start to feel benefits and see benefits? Because this day and age, Drew, everyone wants instant solutions, right? It's why we're so keen to, to, to pop pills. But is there kind of how long can someone expect before they start feeling a little bit better? Because for so many people, that's the key, right? You feel a bit better, you get a bit Definitely. more confident, you can try something else. 
Yeah, it can be very quickly. And that's the thing. When we're talking about symptoms like hirsutism, which is the growth of facial hair, that will take uh, months because we're, we're relying upon the body's natural uh, hair growth cycle. Same with hair loss. You're not going to fix hair loss instantly. But things like energy levels, sleep quality, uh, fatigue, mood, those things can be improved within two or three weeks. You know, so... If you look at, and that's the thing, it's look, there are so many variables here, of course, but if we're looking at things like just energy levels, mood, sleep quality, those things can be, and this is what I'm looking at, you know, when I look at like the reviews of our products, I think I look at like what, what are they saying? And that's what, the, that's what happens first, you know, not, not saying you have to take supplements, but what just in general, when you start a new regime, what symptoms do we see an improvement in first? And those symptoms are very important. Like if you're getting more energy, you're sleeping better and you're in a better mood, they're going to allow you to uh, move in the right direction. So certain symptoms like that within the first month, other symptoms like regular peer, regulating your periods could take two to three months. Improving hirsutism or hair loss could take three to six months, but you can see an improvement in certain symptoms within the first few weeks. Speaking of supplements, could you give us a, a top line view of, of what the research says in terms of those supplements that could be most beneficial with women suffering from PCOS? Yeah, so the wonderful thing is there is a lot of research into um, supplements for PCOS. On one hand, that's very exciting because it means you have options and there's and they're, they're, they're the lowest hanging fruit. You can just take one. Again, supplements aren't magic. So don't just take a supplement without changing anything else, thinking it's going to change everything. As I always say, a supplement can really help if it's part of an overall plan for your PCOS. Um, but on the other hand, because there are so many supplements, you know, there's probably 15 to 20 supplements that have positive research behind the from PCOS, it can be overwhelming because, again, most women with PCOS don't understand their PCOS. So they could go on social media and you've seen seven or eight different supplements recommended for your PCOS, but you don't understand that they're doing different things. So the big ones for um, PCOS, the most well-known ones will be inositol, which helps with insulin resistance, berberine, which helps with insulin resistance, um, vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, L-carnitine will probably be your main ones, but the, as, I, as, as I mentioned, they all do different things. So common nutrient deficiencies in PCOS, vitamin D, zinc, magnesium, which is why all of those three can really help because if you can help maintain uh, optimum levels of those three nu uh, nutrients, can be very beneficial. Inositol, berberine, studied uh, quite a good good amount of study there but for their benefits to insulin resistance. And for a lot of women with PCOS, insulin resistance is really at the root of their symptoms. So if you can improve insulin resistance, you can improve a lot of aspects of your PCOS, which is why things like inositol or berberine can be very beneficial. Um, and then L-carnitine is probably emerging as the one supplement that is ha having a large amount of uh, research behind it. Again, that improves insulin resistance, but also actually shown to improve weight loss. Now, doesn't obviously burn more calories or anything like that. How I believe it's going to help you improve your weight loss is, and I look at the reviews here, again, it improves mood and improves sleep and improves energy. 
So if someone's wanting to lose weight and they're not sleeping well, they're in a crap mood and they have no energy, they're not going to be eating well. They're not going to be exercising intensely. So if you can take something that helps you stick to your diet better, happily stick to your diet, exercise more regularly and more intense, it's going to help with weight loss. So they're both of the big ones. Uh, as I said, inositol, berberine, vitamin D, uh, zinc, magnesium, L-carnitine. But as I mentioned, there are a number of other supplements that can help. But again, you have to understand your PCOS and your goals, and that will help you decide which supplement may be right for you. Because you know, if you're looking to improve insulin resistance, inositol or berberine might be a fantastic choice. But if you don't have issues with insulin resistance, those supplements are going to be a complete waste of time for you. So just have to understand how do my PCOS works? What are my goals? And that will help uh, guide your decision in what supplement may be right for you. There's so much a woman can do to try and get on top of her PCOS in terms of those lifestyle interventions. But the one thing we've not talked about is a support network. And it seems to me that for a lot of women, the man in their life could be a, a phenomenal support system to try and help them. But we've spoken about the lack of education for women. The lack of education for men is, is an even vaster gap. And I think if you put 20 guys into a room and ask them how many knew what PCOS was, the only guys who put their hands up were probably those whose partner had had some sort of issue. How can men, Drew, you're perfectly positioned to, to do this and, and give this advice. How can men begin to support women um, or women in their life who have PCOS? What are the big things that, that we can do to help and support? Yeah, I think it's just number one, you don't even have to understand PCOS. You just have to understand that she's going through something. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, you might have a friend who's going through a breakup and you might not understand that breakup. You might not understand anything, but you can still just be supportive. So you don't have to understand everything that's going on, but you can just be a good friend or a good person. So I feel like number one, it'd be great if men understood PCOS and learnt more about it. But as I said, look, you know, if, if you don't have PCOS, do I think you're going to go and learn everything about PCOS for a friend? Probably not. I would love if you did, but just being real, you probably won't. So for me, it's just, you know, my advice would be just be a good friend. Even if you don't understand, number one, try and understand, even if it's just the basics of PCOS, try and understand, even if it's just a symptom list. One of the things I like to do is, and I really used to do this on the whiteboard, is I'd write down all of the symptoms, sit there and just ask myself, what would, you know, how would I feel if I was going through this? You know, hair loss, hirsutism, no energy, fertility struggles, unexplained weight gain. Like all of these things would be so difficult to live with. And it's so much harder when you're by yourself. So I speak to women on both sides of it. I speak to women who their partner is incredible, caring, thoughtful, supportive, wanting to learn, wanting to understand. And it is such a help. And I speak to other women whose partners have left them because of their PCOS, like heartbreaking. And it has such a, and I just think, and I really do think this, I think women are more in touch with their emotions than men. You know, so we don't even understand how much of an impact that has. So as a man, look, try and understand, try and educate yourself just on the basics of PCOS and what they're going through, and then just try and be a good person and a good friend. Like, as I said, you don't need to understand what they're going through. You just need to be a shoulder.
like so many things in the world right now, a little bit more empathy and understanding yeah. could, could go an awful long way. Drew, final question. You're a man in a women's health space. So I've got to ask you this question. Have you got a lot of criticism? Have you got a lot of blowback for women saying, you know, can we not have one thing that a man's not got to stick his nose in? It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, used to happen a lot more. When I was, you know, when people have never heard of me, and it only really happens now, you know, we're on TikTok. So, you know, you can go viral on TikTok. So when I, I put a video out that goes viral on TikTok and it's shown to 500,000 people that have never seen me, yes, I get those comments. From the people that have seen me over and, you know, because I've been posting about PCOS since 2000 and maybe late 2014 was when I started. So, you know, it's been nearly 10 years. So most people have seen me, you know, and that's the thing. I, I still see it now. Um, you know, I see the comments where it's like, you know, the first time I saw you, yeah, I hated it. I'm like, well, why is this, who's this dude talking about PCOS? But then I saw you the second time and the third time. And then the fourth time I actually listened to what you say. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. So I think for me, the fact that I'm not just, posting rubbish the fact that i think people can see that i am taking the time helps but yes if i was to say you know out of every hundred comments you're going to get two you know for us we're going to get two negative ones we don't get too many negative ones it's always what the hell would you know you're a guy or you know what are your qualifications you know so that's why if you look at my social media the number the first video i've pinned is why is a man so passionate about pcos but that's that is what it is it's it's 99 of our negative comments are what would you know as a man talking about pcos stop mansplaining this so yes i do get it a fair bit but i've been getting it for the last 10 years so it doesn't affect me at all i also i understand it i understand that look i don't i don't know your history but it's probably likely you've been palmed off by a doctor a male doctor or you've just been like you've just had men in your life trying to tell you what's best for you and things like that so i just understand where those comments come from i don't get offended by them but definitely as a man talking about pcos i definitely still do get them